Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. Today we hear from James Appleby, Group Sales Director at the logistics companies DG International and Pro Carrier. James specializes in understanding human motivation, behavioral styles and peak performance states. And in a career of more than 20 years, he's worked at the highest levels in a number of sectors, delivering leadership training in professional services, politics and also working with premiership and international football teams. He subsequently used this experience to be part of the team to transform DG International, which has more than 140 employees from £3 million of turnover in 2012 to a current turnover of in excess of £150 million. I therefore wanted to pick his brains on topics from leadership, emotional intelligence and aligning your vision and values with those of your team to changing organisational culture, dealing with rapid growth, quiet quick quitting and a concept James calls squashing butterflies. Please do enjoy the conversation. Hello James, welcome to the Evolved to Succeed podcast. Good afternoon. Good to have you on the podcast. Good to have this conversation with somebody with your vast and varied experience, James. I suppose we should go straight to it and maybe a big open question to start with. 20 years of recruiting, 15 years of launching and growing businesses on a pan-European basis, and as I understand it, 10 years delivering the very highest levels of advanced sales and leadership training programs. So with all of that experience, what have you learned about motivation, behavioural styles and peak performance during that time? Thank you, Well, that sounds rather rather impressive and indeed makes me sound particularly old. I would I hasten to add that some of those years were, were coinciding with each other, so I may have been recruiting. I hope that was the case when I read the question, when I read, read it and thought about it, actually, but yeah. You're good. <laughs> not, not as old as that way, Mammy seem. Um, well, what have I learned? I think the most important thing that I've learned is that whilst we are all very different in terms of our styles, our values, our aspirations, we all indeed have those same needs, desires, fears, hopes, and dreams. We all have our own emotional reactions to, to, to situations. We all have our own core beliefs that, that um, create the way we, we behave when we're faced with um, challenges that we may not have, have, have faced before. And what surprised me most, Warren, is actually how an awful an awful lot of, of senior management within business, an awful lot of leaders don't actually understand as, as much about that as 
I would have believed they may have done. And I'll, mm. I'll talk to you about that. When I first started delivering training into, into environments where there were individuals whom I may have put on a pedestal previously, um, I, there, there were nerves going into it. You know, how can I help this individual? They're extremely successful. Yeah. What can I bring to the, to the party? But very, very quickly and meeting these individuals, you recognise or I recognise that actually they're in the position they have based on the skill sets that they have. And I'm doing what I do based on the understanding that, that I have. And actually passing on my knowledge to, to those individuals help them become better leaders. And, and that's really where, where, where I'm at, using the skills and understanding that I have to help facilitate other individuals to greater levels of success. It's interesting there because, James, because you're talking there very much about you know understanding individuals. And perhaps I assume from that, in terms of leadership styles, understanding their motivations and what, you know, brings, what do they bring to the party? Um, is that correct? Is that what you know? One of the fundamentals that you would bring. I think that's that's important, but more important than that, Warren, is is assisting leaders in in any field to recognise and understand that in their own senior leadership teams. So it's not just about understanding their own vision and values. It's about how they align that with the the senior management. Mm -hmm. It's not about just understanding their own. Um, emotional reactions and their self-awareness but understanding the emotional reactions in the senior management that, that they have not just understanding one's own fears and, uh, mm. and desires but understanding that of the, the senior individuals that they, they lead so I, I believe I help leaders understand their people in a, um, a much better way than they may otherwise and would you you know people you know listeners listening to this you know running businesses and they're thinking about, you know, adopting some of that and trying to, you know, treat their team as individuals more. Um, is it a top down or a bottom up kind of approach? You know, when you when you would deliver training, would you always say that it change the behaviour at the top and cascade it down, or start at the bottom and work its way up, or you know, or a bit of both? I think a, a bit of all of that. I don't think it matters where you introduce understanding of. Um, emotional intelligence on a, on a grander scale. Let's just move away from just the, mm. the motivational part. The more emotional intelligence you can inject into into any team, the better said team will will perform. So for for me, you know, I've I've supported leaders, as you said in in, in the opening gambit. You know, I've worked with leaders of of countries. I've worked with premiership football managers. I've worked with presidents of of global private banks. But then. I've worked with, with interns, I've worked with middle managers, I've worked with um, people that have part-time zero-hour contracts and I, and I feel that the skills and experience that, that I pass on has a positive effect at every level. You know, if you get senior management on board and, and the leader of a business is on, on board with said training and development, then, you know, the, the, such are the, the greater chances of success. But I think those skills and, and behaviours and attributes can be injected at, at any level. It's interesting because you talk again about emotional intelligence. I mean, how would you define emotional intelligence as a term itself? I mean, like the, the, that self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, um, communication skills, social skills, that, that is, is a, a, very big, a very big area. But fundamentally, I think the, the way people behave and interact with each other, the way they behave and interact with themselves, the way they behave and interact with the the, the, the world at large, you know, the 
the, uh, there was an article recently in the, the HR director, and I talk about people being above or below the line. And this came from, and all of my learning, Warren, comes from initially years and years of, of personal development. Um, I went on a, a personal development training course when I was 21, loved it, and have then been been seeking out more as much personal development as I, as I possibly can. And then uh, uh, I heard a previous podcast of yours, I mean, talking to someone about having light, lightning bolt moments, and, and mine came mm-hmm. and I suddenly realized, actually, how much of this personal development that I, I've done has a crossover into the, the corporate world. Now, I started did delivering this in the corporate world some 15, 20 years ago, and I have to be careful not to appear as um, to 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 way out there. I don't want to be that Glenn Glenn Hoddle bringing in the the <laughs> medium, but you know there, there is that. So when I talk about people being above, above and below the line, it's it's very very simple. If you imagine a a graph with a zero at the bottom and and ten at the top and a line across the middle at, at five, anything above a five, people are experiencing positive emotions. Anything five and, and, and below, they're experiencing negative emotions. And, and people's peak performance, depending on what environment they're, they're working in, is approximately between somewhere at seven and a half and, and nine on that line. If you're working with premiership football players and, and Formula One drivers and the like, they have to be right at the top of their game with extremely quick reflexes. You're talking about maybe a nine to, to nine and a half. And I've, I've forged a career, if you like, in the last 10 to 15 years creating teams and individuals that primarily spend more of their time above the line and therefore able to operate at their own peak performance. I have no special skill set in in any particular area, but those teams and, and individuals that I've been in and seen, they certainly do. So it's just making sure they're able to operate at their, their optimum. And I mean, I've, I read that article and I've got a few questions around it because I think it was a great article. Um, James but I, how do we assess whether people you know how do we actually go about assessing where people are on that kind of above or below the line because that's in itself could be contentious couldn't it absolutely um and I think fundamentally as individuals we can see we can sense we can feel we can hear when people are are experiencing negative emotions or indeed when they're experiencing positive emotions i'm sure if you were to to go out into the into the street or to leave your office and go to the office next door and have a an encounter of any way shape or form with the first 10 people that you've met and then i ask you to say whether they were above and below the line you'd be able to see in the first instance whether at that moment in time you believe they were experiencing positive emotions or or, or negative emotions so it's it's fairly easy to, to spot that the more you spend looking for it and the more time you spend exploring it and the reasons behind it, mm. the easier it is to spot and the easier it is to see what emotions individuals are, are experiencing. But I think fundamentally, it's a skill that we all have. You know, we, we need it to, 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 to get along in the world. And it's not just our working relationships, it's our, our home relationships. You know, how many people walk in from work and within within 30 seconds know the, the emotional um position of everybody in 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 the family right mm, yeah. <laughs> you can yeah, you walk in and i like that it, it, i, I like that your wife's pulling her hair out it's very clear to see <laughs> that there are a bunch of people experiencing negative emotions however on on 
Friday, I walked into into my own house, and and my son had just been accepted for a, an apartment that he'd been looking to to rent, and he was delighted. My wife was was delighted, and there there before my very eyes was a, a an abundance of, of positive emotions. Brilliant, and I love the fact that it's guttural. I think you know if you'd have come back and said, well, actually, it's this assessment, and this, it is guttural. It's walking around sensing what's going on within your team and understanding are they above or below the line and I love that that concept in itself but I suppose is one of your challenges in what you do and how you develop teams for organizations that you do need that mind shift in some of the senior leaders perhaps the MDs the CEOs the founders out there who are so driven and so goal orientated that they don't open their eyes to what's happening around them um I've experienced that on a, a number of occasions. And actually, who would I be to suggest that they, they must? And actually, I don't think it's, it's vital that they do create their own mind shift and they do abide by that set of guidelines that, that, that are put in place. So the, the, the role that I have at the, the moment, we have a, a CEO who is extremely passionate, extremely driven, has qualities that... that I simply don't have. Um, it is extremely intense in, in the workload. And whilst he sees the importance of what I do and what, what I bring and how the senior management team interact, he wants to be busy focusing on what he's focusing on. So he leaves that to me, if you like. He, when, when, I come yeah. to, when I come to him, he understands that I'll be coming from a position of maybe empathy. He comes that I'll be coming from a position based upon motivation. So when I come to him and there are decisions that to be made, he certainly gives considerations to all of those things. But on a, uh, on a day-to-day, he's focused on, on undertaking CEO tasks, which is driving forward the strategy of the business and pushing people into positions where we can achieve his vision. And as, again, I suppose I, I get that and I can resonate in that. I suppose it's about a leader recognising their strengths and their weaknesses. And if their strengths is that drive, then build a team with people like yourself in it. People that have got perhaps those people skills that can see as somebody above or below the line and interact with them and, and, and build a balanced team that plays to some, some weaknesses or other areas of focus that as the leader, you haven't got time to drive forward. So I think that's a sign of good leadership in itself, isn't it? James. Absolutely. And, and there, there's a, um, I was recently asked about what, what makes a, a good leader. And I think just that, and it's difficult to talk about weaknesses, but areas where individuals understand that, look, others may know more about them, go and go and get those individuals. But it depends on the, the, the size of organisation as well. Obviously, the larger the organisation, the longer the period of time it takes to, to, to change or improve mm. um the, the culture of, of said organisations. Here we've been very fortunate in as much as that I joined the business when it was small and growing, so that culture has grown with the, the business. But every culture is possible of, of changing and developing for, for the better. And actually, the focus for any great leader, I think, and, and where I um, make strives to, to help, is to create self-managing, self-motivating teams. And a lot of the, the training that I deliver, a lot of the... Um, the styles and, and ways of working and methodologies that I provide to, to leaders and teams do do just that. You know, when you go into a team of whether it's five people in a small department or a, as we've got here, a senior leadership team of sort of 18 or 19 senior managers, when everybody becomes consciously aware of their own behaviour, the behaviours of others around them, that's the, the first step. 
You know, I think I've, I've been into so many organizations over the years who just don't recognize quite where they're at, where individuals are behaving in a way that's not conducive with success, but they don't recognize that they're, mm. they're behaving like that. And, and listen, it wouldn't be called um, subconscious behavior if they were consciously aware of it, right? No, <laughs> quite true, quite true. And I am really interested to hear a little bit more about the DG International story because, like you say, that's gone from, I think, 2009 being founded. I think, you know, when you got involved, it was turning over sort of broadly £3 million. It now turns over more than £150 million. I mean, that's dramatic growth. And one of the things I've seen leading organisations and seen with the clients is growth can hamper all of this, can't it? Because growth means change and step change in a business and the number of people that you bring in and it's rapid and that change can be very rapid so any you know again a listener listening to this a leader listening to this podcast think going through that kind of rapid growth phase any hints and tips how about to how to do it well i mean look, my, my specialism isn't um in 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 high growth but i'm i'm I believe in as much as the, the faster the growth, the harder everyone in it has to, has to work, right? Because instead of in the early days when we were adding one person a month, to be able to manage how that person um, landed in the team, how we, we managed the inclusion of their own thoughts and values into that of the team, the way we think to make sure we were still all pushing in direction was much easier than it was last year when we were adding five, six, seven people a month. Add to that the complexities that we added three or four new sites in the previous couple of years. And I think you just have to work much harder at making sure those senior leaders that, that now have communication with the teams below them are utilising the same methodologies that the the, the CEO and myself did when we, we, we were growing. So, you know, I have now, as challenging as it, as it may sound, there are, as I said, 18 senior managers within the, the business, each of which are responsible for, for several teams. And every two weeks, we, without fail, I'll have a, a half-hour leadership session with them to check in on their, their progress and the, the progress of their, their teams. Wow. And that's a commitment, isn't it? That's, a, that's effort, that's commitment, that's... I suppose, yeah, consistency in it. And, and what about company culture? Because you touched on company culture as well. I mean, how has the business maintained that culture and values throughout that period? I and mean, what are some of the tools and tips that you've undertaken, James? We have, as I said previously, we have a, a, an extremely passionate, driven CEO who had a very clear vision. So I think in the first instance, sharing that vision with everybody so everybody knows the the goals and objectives that the business is looking to achieve i think it's important to make sure we align the values and the visions of the people that we bring in with the values and visions of the business itself and that's not to say that they have to be the same but they have to to align you know there are certain individuals in our team who are extremely um focused on on identifying green opportunities, ways that we can deliver our service in a more sustainable way. And there are two people from very dissimilar backgrounds that are both looking for that. One wants to leave the world in a better place than, than they came into. The other wants to be able to go to larger organisations who, who care about working with sustainable partners and their motivation is just simply to create more sales. So two very different, two very different visions for those people, but both mm. with, with similar values. And as long as we, we align those, and I think as long as we are, are, are listening, as long as we're caring, as long as we're giving consideration to, it's, 
again, at risk of, of being completely kicked out of any, any leadership or, or mentoring programs, I think fundamentally everything and, and everything lands back to a position of, of love, doesn't it? You know, everybody has a mm. need to be loved. Everybody wants to, to be loving. And whilst that's not necessarily how I deliver the, the introduction at, at leadership training programs when I bring <laughs> underlining that that's that's what we're we're looking for and we have 165 people currently who i suggest feel loved loved by the business loved loved by the manager loved by the the senior leadership team loved by myself loved by the ceo brilliant and out of interest do you use any because there's a lot out there isn't there about you know doing kind of employee surveys and kind of weekly feedbacks and actual do you use any software or any tools to gauge engagement within the employees the name escapes me but yeah on a a, a six monthly basis we we undertake quite comprehensive employee engagement surveys um whenever we're looking to make a a large change within the organization recently we were looking at um, a new hq and we go out and we ask everybody for for their opinions what they would like what they would and what would make their life better what they think would help increase um productivity so yes simply we do brilliant but day in day out it comes down to behavior and you know making people feel loved or making people feel wanted or being part of something is the message that i'm hearing loud and clear from you james which is great i suppose in your experience can we make anybody into a good leader (laughs) um i don't think so and i say that very very tentatively because again my qualification is not to say who can and can't become great leaders but (laughs) i say no because not everybody wants to be a leader right there there are some people who who aren't looking for that there are some people who are looking to turn up do a good job, get paid, go home and spend more time with the, the family who, who, if you mentioned the idea of, of leadership to them, would, would run a mile. Now, I'm sure that we could explore why they would run a mile. We could overcome whatever fears and objections they may have and, and, and help them get there. But what I would suggest is I can help a good leader become a better leader. I can help someone that has aspirations of becoming a, a leader. I can help develop skills and insights into those that would, would help them um, achieve that. Brilliant. And maybe we should turn back to that um, article that you wrote because the article was a, a kind of, a you know, the main principle around it was about kind of hybrid working. And you talked in there really interestingly about a few concepts. One was quiet quitters. So watch out for the quiet quitters was kind of the key message. So do you want to explain that a little bit further? Well, I think it was in, it was more of a, a response to an article that had previously been written about the number of people who were quietly quitting. So that's not people leaving their positions, but people are emotionally detaching from, from their position. Mm. Uh, and, you know, that, that happens far more um, in an environment where people are, are, are home and lonely than it would in an office around people who are considerate of that individual mm-hmm. feelings. Now, don't get me wrong, environments that aren't paying attention to people's emotional well-being, they're as much likely to have quiet quitters as, as organisations with people sat at home. My take on that was that when they're in the office, I or people that I've trained or other people that are looking can see. Like I said, you, you need to be able to recognise when people are um, engaged or, or, or disengaged, mm-hmm. whether they're satisfied or not satisfied. And we get on a, a, a call, Warren, you and I, and you can see my smiley face for however long I can see yours. And it's very easy to get off the phone and thinking, that guy's fully engaged. But when there's mm. the, the, the face they pull 
when they put the phone down. It's the, the comment they make when they leave the water cooler. It's the, the, mm. the huff they make when they walk into the kitchen and there's a queue of people by the kettle. What, whatever it is, it's those smaller nuances of individuals' behaviour that you just don't get to see when they're not in the office. And I think quiet quitting would be very easy to spot in a working environment if you know what you're looking to mm. see and not so from those people that are based at home. Yeah, brilliant. And in the article, you talk again um, about you know in-house days. And a lot of businesses are doing this, aren't they? They're bringing everybody in to their organisation on at least you know one day a week, three days a month, whatever it is, there's set days. But something that you discussed in that article that made a lot of sense is about how you should make the most of those in-house days and not just get people in the office and more back into the business and they're there, they're present, but how do you make the most of it? And any thoughts and ideas about what people can do when they do have these kind of bring everybody to the business days? I don't necessarily think so, Warren. I think just, just go about what you will be going about in the, the normal course of your duties, but pay attention to the emotional well-being of your, your colleagues. This isn't... Mm. Um, mine, mine aren't ways of, of behaving that I, I suggest the senior leaders pass down to individuals in the business. Mine are, are ways of being that I think everyone in the business should uh, sh- would benefit from from being. You know, we have, like I said, I've, I've recently sat down this week with a, a bunch of interns that, that we have and taught, taught them a couple of, of tips and tricks for um, helping to create a, a success environment. So one of the things that, that we do here with the, the sales team, and it's is something that we originally put in just to, to create a success environment, is we ask people to bring to a sales meeting. We have a sales meeting once a week, and we ask people to bring to the sales meeting three three positives that they've experienced for the week. Now, historically, salespeople would turn up to a sales meeting and want to talk about the business successes that they've won, right? But mm-hmm. you can't have those every week. And what we don't want is a bunch of salespeople codependent on new accounts for their own um, emotional well-being, because if they are, they'll spend more of their time below the line and won't be as successful as they they can be. So it's anything that happens during the course of a week that makes someone go, yes. Now, it could be just getting a call back from someone you've been trying to reach for some period of time. It could be getting off of a, a podcast that someone was really nervous about doing for the first time and thinking that went well. You know, it, it can be anything. And I was talking to the interns um, about this, and then I had a particularly challenging day last Thursday. A number of things had, had come at me and, and had, uh, affected my position on, on the line. And one of the interns walked past my office, noticed the, the look on my face and, and asked me if I was okay. And I said I was and I'd had a couple of frustrations. And, and they, they, they asked me what else had happened during the day that was positive because I suggested to them that in order to get yourself trained to this success mentality, you have to be paying attention on a, an hourly basis, making notes of the good things that happened. Otherwise, you can end up on a, on a Friday coming to the sales meeting not knowing what three good things have happened during the week because a few challenging things. And actually, I hadn't been making the notes that day. So I loved the fact that one of the interns who had been in the business six weeks was throwing back at me some of the um, suggestions that I'd given for them. And, and really... If you can create an environment where where interns are pointing out the behaviour of the the, mm-hmm. the group and the group sales director, whichever title I happen to be holding at the time, I, I I believe then we're on to a winner. 
You are. That's great accountability. If you can install that culture, that's amazing, isn't it? And we talk about actually with this, you know, some of the work that we do with the businesses that we work with. We talk about good, bad, mad, and people sharing their good, bad, mad. And yeah. when we bring leaders together and founders and owners of businesses together, we get them to share their good, the bad, and the mad. And the mad is clearly something that could be good or bad, or we just got something crazy. But 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 the, the principle is the same, isn't it? It's it's about bringing that that different perspective into the room and having honest conversations about what's happening, how they're feeling, bringing positivity, but also cultivating that kind of room and kind of collaboration of support that people do need, don't they? We need that as human beings. And as as you say, that's hugely valuable in in any organisation, any walk of life, in, in any team, right? But... What you're doing prior to bringing that to the conversation is you're you're asking people to be consciously aware on a daily basis of actually what is bad, what is good, and what, and what is mad. Or oh, I got that the wrong way around. Yeah. Apologise, but yeah, you, you know. And once people are consciously aware of their own behaviour, they're far more able to to control it. I remember going on a seminar once, and the the, the leader of the seminar, the the, the host, said he. It, more people spend more time programming their mobile phones on a weekly basis than they do their minds for success. So just by sitting down with someone and saying, you know, look for the good, bad, and mad in in this week, you're helping to create a level of 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 awareness that previously would have gone un, unnoticed. Absolutely, and we've got you know some of our clients have then taken it exactly as you've said just there into their businesses, and they do it within their team meetings, and they've seen a huge difference. I suppose when we think about it and you, you mentioned mobile phones probably that's tempted me into this kind of angle of conversation is we've talked a lot in the last half hour about I suppose being more human okay building relationships building rapport having honest conversations um, consciously noticing when somebody's above or below the line but technology is playing such a part isn't it in the way in which we interact and what we do and there's rapid developments in technology, you know, even, you know, 2023, we've seen chat, GBT and, and AI come into the place. I mean, what do you see as tech or some of the concerns you may have or some of the benefits that you could perhaps see of the way in which we're going to continue to use technology and how that impacts on leadership and culture? I believe in the first instance, we should all be embracing new technology um, and new advancements in technology. Not all of them are going to have a positive impact on our, our lives, but but that's the great thing about life, isn't it? Not everything that comes into it has a positive impact, but actually it influences the individuals that, that we are and, and shapes us. And I have a, a belief for them that everything's always um, perfect, even if we don't know at that particular moment in time why, why it's perfect. And actually, uh, it's because there are two trains of thought, right? Acceptance or resistance. Acceptance is an above-the-line emotion and resistance is a below-the-line one. Mm. That's why I have a, a belief that it's perfect. But with anything new, whether it's technology, whether it's... Uh, new office space where there's new people joining the team people are naturally fearful and suspicious and we all have very similar fears and 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 concerns you know so if uh, we're, we're looking at putting some automation into uh, one of our facilities as the business grows so there's the need for that now there there will be individuals within the organization who might fear for their jobs if we're bringing in um, automation, does that mean we don't need quite as many people in the warehouse? Well, actually, no. It means we don't need as many people in the warehouse undertaking that particular function, but we need other people because we're expanding and we're going to be doing X, Y, and Z. So I think 
if you're going to be introducing any kind of uh, advance in technology, please give some previous consideration to what people might fear that that will bring and address that in, in, in advance. You know, I, I met with um, many years ago, and, and what got me into training, Warren, and I'm sorry to, to talk on if you, were, if you had another question there, uh, I was a, a recruiter and I ran a, a recruitment business and I would go and see lots of individuals and, and the, the further I progressed in my recruitment career, the older I got, the, the higher the level at which you, you operate, right? So you start and you're recruiting junior people yeah. and then as you go and your, your career does, so do the people. Until the point where I was seeing senior leaders of businesses looking to recruit, replace or, or, or grow their own senior leadership teams. And often I'd be called in to replace individuals who weren't performing. One one conversation stuck with me and it was with the the vice president of a, a global private bank, and he said to me, look, I, I'm going to have to replace the head of their, their wealth management team. He said he runs what used to be one of the most successful teams in in Europe. He said, and in recent months, the, the guy's just dropped off the, the face of a cliff and, and as is his performance. And the more I went into these kind of conversations, the more I started thinking, this person did once do a very good job. The guys, the guys recognized that. He's not doing a very good job, a job now and the team are performing. So what's changed and, and can we have a, a look at that? And I remember on the way to the, to the meeting with this particular private bank, I heard on the radio how they were making global redundancies and they were letting something like 35,000 people go globally. Now, if that was the announcement made on the, the news on that particular Monday morning, it had been something that would have been in the planning far in, a, in ahead of that. And when I sat down with the the VP of this bank, and, and we started discussing it, it became very obvious that the, the wealth manager in charge of this particular team was, he had his safety and security needs threatened. When we talk about motivation, I love Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, and, and here we have an individual staring down the barrel of what he thought was a, a redundancy, very, very fearful, very, very below the line, and yet we're expecting that guy to do a great job. So I started talking to people and almost talking myself out of a fee. Instead of charging you this much money <laughs> to replace this individual, I can charge you this much, which used to be considerably less, to, to get them performing again. Yeah, brilliant. Nice nice way into, the, you know, I suppose this is what we do in life, isn't it? We develop, we change, we see opportunities, and yeah, and we kind of evolve as human beings, and we you clearly, by the sounds of it with you, you've followed this passion into understanding motivation, behavioral styles, you know, emotional intelligence and all of those kind of things. I, while we're talking about your story, though, I need to ask the question, any particular kind of standout memories that you've got? You know, you've talked about working with heads of political parties, walk, you know, working with football um, stars, international football teams, all of that kind of thing. And, and I know there's client confidentially and all of those kind of things, but is there any standout kind of, th you know, memories that you've got that you could share with us? Yeah, they're all standout in their own way. Some are standout because they were with high-profile individuals who, like you say, confidentiality pre pre prevents me from talking. They're, they're standout because there was such a, a success, or they were standout because I, I walked away thinking I made a bit of a pig's ear of that and could have done better next time, right? But they, they were all standout. <laughs> but, um, it, it depends on what we were looking for as a, a, as a standout. You know, we worked, uh, myself and a couple of associates worked with uh, the Gibraltar national football team who were trying to... Um, gain membership of, of FIFA UEFA to enter, to enter competitions. And 
for years politically. I think Spain had protested to, uh, and actually had suggested they would withdraw from any competition that Gibraltar are in. And suddenly there were a game of a run of six games lined up to assess their suitability for entrance into uh, uh, competitions. And the, the sports minister of, of, of Gibraltar, the, the head coach of the, the football team, were convinced that they were going to get trounced every single game and therefore FIFA would be able to say, look, they can't even beat this, this bunch that we've laid on. They can't possibly enter into competitions. So right from the start, nobody in the, in, in the whole team, nobody involved had any belief that they could possibly win, you know, let alone achieve entrance to, to the tournament. So there was an awful lot of work involved there around um, limiting beliefs. And uh, mm. I've heard you mention that on a couple of previous podcasts, so I know there's a, um, a shared value with, with regards to that. And look, there, there were the six games. The one, one or six were, were um, accepted, so that was a, a great success. I remember going into um, quite a high-profile asset management organisation where one of the departments had become rather toxic. And it's a, it's a strong word, often often overused, but in this particular case, it, it was. Half a dozen um, strong personalities had been thrust together at a short notice to, to create a team for a, a particular project. And yeah, it wasn't a, a very nice environment to be. And actually, I don't credit myself with all of my my success and my learning and and my wife actually has a a very sizable role to to play we have a a consultancy together but she's a a degree educated qualified counsellor and indeed self um, self self-esteem practitioner and I've learned an awful lot from just listening to to what she does she'll share a situation with me and I think wow I've got that going on at this particular moment in time with a client or a member of staff and I'm going to go and employ that as a, a methodology. So that's one that I really, really liked because it was the, the first time I rolled it out. So I had this, this team of, as I said, quite a, a toxic environment. And my wife at the time was delivering um, a program of self-esteem enhancement to, to children. And it's very difficult to explain to a child what their self-esteem is. So she uses it on a, on a far more childish basis. And she says to these children, you know, if... If someone's kind to you, you feel that butterfly in your stomach get lifted. And if someone's unkind to you, you have a, a your butterfly gets squashed. And, and that essentially, the butterfly represents our esteem, right? And then she ran a, a training program with the children that she called Lifting Butterflies. And she gave each of the children a, a, an exercise to do each day that involved them lifting lifting butterflies because, you know, it's, it's proven that the way to best raise our own self-esteem is to raise the self-esteem of, of others. So I thought, do you know what? I'm looking for massive and immediate results. I'm going to deliver that with this team of, of, um, of asset managers. Quite a high-risk strategy. The, the, the CEO of the business was a very, very intense-driven um, Russian guy was a right bear and I couldn't even talk to him about self-esteem so we, we, we dressed the program up and we called it corporate esteem and, and we went in and literally in the, in the first three sessions gave people a, a, an assignment to um, go raising raising butterflies so the, the assignment was listen guys over the next seven days and you have to make a note of them Three times per day, you have to consciously lift the butterflies or raise the esteem of someone, and you do it consciously. If it happens accidentally, you can't. So, you know, how many times are we in a shop where an assistant gives us a great level of service? How often do we actually stop, look them in the eye and say, 
Thank you ever so much. You made my day much easier. Yeah. You helped me find what I was looking for, and I'm leaving really, really, um, really happy. We just we tend not to to do that, and I and I can't tell you how in three weeks the CEO came back to me. He said they're like a different bunch of people. What have you done with them? In a in a three week period, we'd taken an environment where people were were climbing over themselves to show who was best, were were prepared to to not help others to to get their own leg up, to to one where everybody wanted to come together collaboratively. And it's not just about raising others' self-esteem, right? But delivering that as a message enables mm-hmm. enabled me at that time to be able to point out to individuals when actually they were squashing someone's butterfly. You know, because again, how often do you and you'll have seen this in your work, Warren, you're watching environments where people are, are, are being squashed, you know, and the people that are squashing them, I don't believe for one moment that they set out intentionally to squash them. I believe it's more of that subconscious behavior. So actually, one of my most memorable um, assignments was was just that because it was it was the first because it had such success and because it's played such a major part of what I do um, moving forward and again like I say I have to be careful of what I say and how I say it and make sure that I'm not restricting myself from being hired in in the future right talking about love and love and butterflies <laughs> all the time I love yeah, love and butterflies. I love that. It might be the summary of this conversation. But what a simple principle, you know, lifting butterflies. And Absolutely. I, I get it. And and it, sometimes it's the simplest things we can do as humans, can't it? When we're leading teams and we're interacting is actually, and you're right, maybe, you know, we naturally just quash sometimes. If we're having a bad day, that impact that we have, you know, absolutely detracts so yeah i'm going to take that away from our conversation we do it sub- yeah. we do it subconsciously absolutely. you know and yeah. when, when i first learned this even in in a home environment you know to i'd have times where my children would say to me dad you just squashed my butterfly you know what a fabulous relationship to be building with your children and i and i didn't realize yeah. that, I, that i'd done that um so yeah some some environments you can be more open about how how, how this is but to go back into an environment and hear people <laughs> suggesting to other people in the environment that they've squashed their butterflies, fabulous. <laughs> I love that, particularly in that very high-powered kind of sure. fund management kind of world, which is kind of usually very egotistical, rah-rah, <laughs> to get that kind of concept installed. Um, yeah, definitely an achievement, James. I suppose as we wrap up the conversation, I always finish with the one question and I'm intrigued to ask you this. What is your personal definition of success, James? Wow. Um, I can only answer this for for me, Warren, but I think spending as much of my time, as much of my life as above the line as I can, you know, to make sure that I'm facilitating others to spend as much of their time um, as, as above the line as, as I can. You know, uh, the... the Financial success, the growth, the headcount—that's a—that's a byproduct, in 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 my opinion. Um, and like I said, one raises one's own self-esteem by raising the esteem of others. So it's almost a a, a mission of mine because look, when I'm teaching, I'm at my um, I'm at my own peak performance. When I'm reminding people of the stuff that I've learned over thirty years, I'm practicing it far more than than I would. So yeah, per, what, what definition of success? as much time above the line as possible. Brilliant. Love that. Really, really good. Thank you, James. If people want to learn more about you, more 
about DG International, where can they go? They can go to the to my LinkedIn profile. Um, we have a couple of websites for the business. We are DG.com and we are ProCarrier.com. DG is uh, initially a freight business and ProCarrier, an e-commerce B2C offering. So you can you can learn more there. Um, and like I said, I have a, a LinkedIn profile. If anybody has any questions, reach me, reach me via there. Brilliant, James. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. It's been good to talk to you about all things leadership. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Cheers, Warren. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvedmembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.